As we lead up to Easter, we are going to look back at the time of Jesus' crucifixion to see how several individuals were caught up in the dark side of things that led up to that moment. We want to see how we can keep ourselves from allowing similar characteristics to exist in us that close the door on the light of the world in our life. Today we ask the question, do you continue to trust Christ when life doesn't look the way you want it to look? When Jesus isn't responding the way you hoped? So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. We are continuing our series that we started last week called The Dark Side of Easter. We said that everything that that we as followers of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, everything about your relationship with him hinges on his resurrection. Everything hinges without the resurrection. There is no point of faith. Paul even said that. So everything that we believe hinges on that, that one event, but we believe it happened because there were witnesses who saw it happen. Over 500 people saw Jesus resurrected after they saw him brutally crucified. So our faith hinges to that. But what led up to that moment, there were people who were, as we're saying, kind of caught up on the dark side of things leading up to that moment. And so we're looking at a few of these individuals and we're saying, what can we do in our life to keep ourselves, to protect ourselves from having characteristics that may be similar that would close the door on the light of the world in our life. Last week, we talked about a guy named Caiaphas. And we asked the question, what are we afraid of letting go of? What are we afraid of losing? What are we trying to hold on to? Because we're afraid of losing what we think that thing brings us. And we said we, we need to be careful not to be so focused on what we think we're losing that we miss out on all that we gain in Christ. And so that's what we looked at from, from Caiaphas. This week we're going to look at another individual who wasn't necessarily pleased or we find out he wasn't really pleased with how things were going with Jesus. This guy, this individual was really kind of seeing Jesus as more of someone that was going to help him achieve something that he thought was important rather than seeing Jesus as what he was supposed to see Jesus as. And that was the most important thing in his life. You may know that Jesus uh, had 12 guys that he called to walk with him as he journeyed and did his ministry while he was on this earth. These 12 guys, we call them disciples. They're also known as apostles. The thing is, Jesus had a lot of disciples. And from that group, a a multitude of disciples, he called 12 to be even closer. In fact, let's look at it. Luke chapter six, verses 12 to 13. We see this. It says, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. So he was spending time with God. He was trying to get clarity. Okay, God, who, who do I need to, to call to follow me even closer? And so then we go into verse 13. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples. So the whole multitude that was with him, that had been following him, a disciple is a learner. And that's what we are all called to be. We're called to be learners of, 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 of God, of Jesus. And so he calls these people together. And from that multitude of disciples, he chose 12 of them to be apostles. 
So in other words, Jesus took those 12 and he says, I'm going to, I'm going to mold you even more. And I'm going to teach you not to just be a disciple and a learner, but I'm going to teach you to be an apostle, a messenger, someone who's going to continue to carry on the message that I have started with you. And Matthew and Mark, and even Luke later in his gospel, Luke chapter nine, we see that Jesus even gave these 12 men authority and he gave them power. He sent them out to teach his message and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits. And he gave them authority to bring healing and deliverance from sickness and disease. So Jesus trusted these 12 men, right? So let's see who he called. You, you probably know who they are. It goes in verse 14. Simon, whom we know, or whom he named Peter. He's also, you also see him through the uh, Gospels and through the New Testament referred to as Cephas. He had a lot of nicknames, but that's Peter. Andrew, which was Peter's brother. Then we got James and John and Philip and Bartholomew. Then we got Matthew, who was a tax collector. And then we got Thomas, who he became known as Doubting Thomas, right? Just a horrible thing to be known by. And then we got James, a different James. This James was the son of Alphaeus. And then we got Simon, who's a different Simon. This Simon is, was a zealot. Right. And then, then we got Judas, who was the son of James. And then we got a different Judas, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, you see all throughout this list of names, the individuals who were going to become his messengers that would continue the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then you've also got this one individual who was a part of the 12. Let's not forget this who would eventually have to be replaced by the disciples after Jesus's death and resurrection. But there's something about Judas that Jesus calls them to be a part of the 12. There was something about him that even though Jesus knew he would end up betraying him, he called him to follow. And he even was a part of that because nothing tells us that he did not give Judas the authority to drive out evil spirits. There was something about Judas that he made Judas a part of that core and even gave Judas the authority to drive out evil spirits and bring healing from sickness and disease. And there must've been something about Judas that made him trustworthy that caused him, there was something about him that stood out that, that he had some intelligence, something about him because John tells us that Judas was the treasurer of the disciples. He was in charge of the money box. And so they chose Judas to do this over Matthew, who was a tax collector who was used to handling money. Maybe they didn't want to tempt Matthew with money. Nothing tells us that, but you would think someone who has that knowledge and that background, he would be the logical choice. But something about Judas, he was chose to be this. What I'm trying to get us to understand is that Judas was trusted in some way. And Luke says that he became a traitor. See, There's no reason to think that Judas wasn't sincere in following Christ in the beginning. And think about everything that Judas was surrounded by 
everything that Judas got to experience, everything that he got to learn, there was no better model of faith than what Judas had. (laughs) He got to witness the, the miracles firsthand. He got to hear the teachings firsthand. He got to see the greatest example of faith, the greatest example of loving others that you could experience in watching Jesus Christ. But as Luke says, he became a traitor. And when I read that, and as I was studying and getting ready, I thought about John's writing, the first chapter of John, John chapter one, verse 12, John is writing about Jesus, introducing Jesus. And he says, as many, he gave to those who would receive him the right to become a child of God. Basically what he's saying is Jesus gave them, if you received him for who he was and you believed in him, you had the opportunity to grow and to become all that he is calling you to become as a child of God. Judas had that. Judas was working towards that. But rather than becoming a child of God, Judas became a traitor. John would refer to him and use this word diabolos to refer to Judas. When you hear that word, you may think of the Spanish word diablo, which means the devil. And I'm sure that that Spanish word comes from the Greek word diabolos, just because of how close it is. I can't see where else it would come from, but that word also means it is, it is referencing an individual who shares characteristics or quality that demonstrate the work of the devil. They're slanderous. They're an accuser. There's someone who walks a darker path. And this is who Judas was. Judas is a prime example, a perfect example of the words of the prophet from Jeremiah 17 verse 9 that tells us that the heart is the most deceptive thing of all. That it's hard to understand. That's why that the advice that we get in our life to just follow your heart. That seems like such pure and good advice, right? Follow your heart. What is your heart telling you to do? Jeremiah would tell us, and so many people have demonstrated, the heart is deceptive. That's why we don't follow our heart, we follow Jesus. But Judas kept following his heart and what he thought his heart wanted more than following Jesus, even in the personal opportunity that he had right in front of him. But what led Judas to this place? What is causing this? Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell us about a situation where they were at a home. We see from one of the gospels, it was a home of a man named Simon. who was a Pharisee. And in this home, a woman begins to wash Jesus's feet with an expensive perfume in it. And the, all these gospels tell us this story and they tell us about what happens. And you can kind of take from each one and piece together the whole picture of what takes place. I want us to look at it from the gospel of John. It's in John chapter 12, because John references Judas more and Judas specifically. 
And he even talks about a guy we talked about last week. So let's look at John's words in John chapter 12. He says this, start at verse 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus. Remember him? If you were here last week. The man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said... That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that Judas cared for the poor, John says. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Now, at the time, the disciples didn't know that. We're going to see that in just a moment. And Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest, and Caiaphas would have probably been a part of this group, we talked about him last week, decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them And believed in Jesus. So there's a lot going on here. A lot is happening. Now Luke tells us in his gospel that when Mary does this, Simon the Pharisee didn't like it. And probably all the Pharisees had a problem with this because of what's taking place. And they're saying if Jesus knew who this woman was, he wouldn't be letting her do this. And if he's a prophet, he ought to know that. And then Jesus knows what they're thinking and then begins to speak to them what they're thinking and says, I know this woman and I know she's been forgiven of a lot. And someone who's been forgiven of a lot worships even greater than one who hasn't been forgiven of much or doesn't realize all that God has done for you is what Jesus is saying. And he looks at Mary, Luke says, and he tells her, your sins are forgiven. And see, that bothers them because they're like, who is this to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And the whole time Jesus is trying to point out to them, "Ah, that's exactly what I'm trying to show you and tell you. And then we see the leading priest, Caiaphas, probably being a part of all this, is getting upset again. Why? Because all the crowds are surrounding Jesus. And Lazarus is now contributing to this because Lazarus was risen from the dead. So they want to kill Lazarus too. Not only are they plotting to kill Jesus like we talked about last week, they're plotting now to kill Lazarus. Poor Lazarus. What did he do? He was minding his business, dead in his grave. Jesus called him out. But that just shows us even more The selfishness, the greed, and the pride that Caiaphas and these leaders didn't want to let go of. Why? Because people weren't following them anymore. They were following Jesus. And Lazarus is contributing to that because he was a part of Jesus' ministry. 
But we also see Judas here. And we see Judas get upset at what's taking place. Now, one of the other gospels doesn't mention Judas specifically. It says disciples. And there's some debate around that word that says, is it really plural or is it just talking singularly about one of the disciples? So that would be Judas. But I kind of wonder, is Judas the one that spoke up because he is the one that held the money? And the other disciples agreed with him because from our perspective, we read this and we think, well, we know the whole story. We know the whole big picture. We're not a part of that little moment. See, the disciples didn't always know what Jesus was doing. They didn't always understand what Jesus was doing. So for them to maybe be a little concerned about this being a waste, I think I can kind of understand what's going on here. But now we realize later that for Judas, it wasn't so much that it was a waste. It was that he wanted it for himself. But Judas is bothering, bothered by this, but Judas is also struggling within himself. But there's this one thing that Jesus says that causes a problem for them. And he says that she's doing this for my burial. Now see, for the disciples, they're thinking that's a problem because there's something that we've got to do, Jesus. You're here to help us overthrow Rome. You're here to help us get out of their oppression. We're going to, we're going to overthrow, we're going to, you're going to rule and we're going to sit at your right and your left. Remember, we've had this discussion You told James and John, you called them sons of thunder. Because we were all arguing about who's going to get to sit right beside you. Our agenda is too important, Jesus. And if you die, that messes up what we're going to do. This is messing with Judas. And because he's already struggling, because look at what John says in verse 6. It says that, He often stole some for himself. In other words, Judas was slowly doing things to become a traitor. He was slowly taking those steps that would lead him down a road that he didn't need to go. And Judas was forgetting the wise words of Solomon that say, when we conceal our sin, we will not prosper. But if we confess and turn from them, we'll receive mercy. If Judas would have just been honest with Jesus... I truly believe Jesus would have shown him mercy. The will of God would have still went forth. Matthew and Mark both tell us that it's after this very moment when Judas speaks up and all this takes place. Matthew and Mark tell us that it's after that, that Judas then goes to the leading priest. And he looks at him and he says, what will you give me? to turn him over to you. 
So see, for Judas, everything I thought this man I was following was leading me to, he's not, the end doesn't look like it's going where I thought it was going to go. So I'm ready to give him up. So what do what will you give me to give him to you? And they tell us, Matthew tells us that the priest counted out 30 pieces of silver. And they said, here, we'll give you this. And then Matthew says, it was from that moment on, Judas began to look for his opportunity to betray Jesus. 30 pieces of silver. The Old Testament tells us that that was the price of a slave. 30 pieces of silver. Mary anointed Jesus with an expensive perfume that cost a year's wages that they all saw as waste, that Judas himself said was a waste. And Judas sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. In the very next chapter of John, we see that Jesus having his last supper with the disciples and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And they have a problem with this. Jesus, you can't do that. That's what a servant is supposed to do. And Jesus said, exactly. Because that's what I've come to do. That's what I've tried to tell you. To be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you must learn to serve. And I've come to serve you. Jesus knew this. The disciples didn't know it. But in fact, he was being sold at the price of a servant in that moment. And he says, but the whole reason I've come to serve you is to open up a door for you that you cannot even imagine. That's far greater than what you think the end result needs to be. I'm opening up a door for you in a relationship with the Heavenly Father like you've never had. And I want you to go and serve in the same way that I am serving you. But Judas wasn't going to serve. Judas was going to betray. And Judas knew that It was in the garden where Jesus was about to go. Because see, Jesus, also in that moment, he had told them, one of you, when they were eating, one of you is going to betray me. And they're all, no, 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 who? None of us will betray you. Jesus says, yes, the one who dips his bread in the drink at the same time as me, that'll be the one that betrays. And when when he's saying this, him and Judas both dip it in. Can you imagine the eye contact that's being made at that moment? And Jesus looks at Judas and says, go ahead and go do what you need to do. I feel like it's almost like Jesus is saying, if this is what you think you want, I'm not going to force you to stay here. Go ahead and go and do. And so Judas knows that they're about to go to this garden because Jesus has taken them there before. So he goes and says, let's give me the Roman guard. Let's go. I know where he is. So these Roman soldiers who don't really know who Jesus is, they're walking with Judas. They get to this garden and John tells us that as they approach, Jesus steps out and he says, who are you looking for? 
Remember Jesus' words last week that we saw in John 10, verse 18. No one takes my life from me. I freely give it. So John tells us that he looks at him. He says, who, who are you here for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. And he says, I am he. John tells us they can't stand in his presence. And he looks at him again and says, who are you looking for? Jesus, that's me. Let these other guys go. You're here for me. And then we see that they take Jesus and they take him back to the chief priest like we talked about last week. They take him back to Caiaphas. Remember I told you, Caiaphas and them were trying to get him, but they knew they couldn't do it in a crowd. How were they going to do it? This is how. And then Judas back off in a distance is watching everything take place, just like all the other disciples. And Judas sees Caiaphas take Jesus to Pilate. And then all of a sudden, it's like it hit him. What have I done? This man that trusted me to follow him, that gave me authority to speak in his name, just sold him for the price of a slave and they're going to kill him. I had a hand in that. It's almost like all the prophecies from the prophets of old are starting to come to his mind. The words of Isaiah that talked about the Messiah and the suffering servant. It's almost like Judas is putting the puzzle together and saying he's one in the same. It's almost like Judas is sitting there and all of a sudden the words of the teacher, Jesus, are starting to flow back through his mind and he's remembering, oh dear God, what does it sacrifice a man? Or what does it cost a man to sacrifice his soul to gain what he thinks is the world? What I thought I wanted to gain I just sold my soul. And now the whole remorse and all the remorse and all the guilt that he's feeling, that 30 pieces of silver is not helping him to overcome that grief. He goes back to the priest and he throws the money at them and he says, take it, I've sinned. I've betrayed an innocent man. And these priests who follow God, who follow Yahweh, look at him and say, what is that to us? That's your problem. And so Judas, rather than returning to his brothers and trying to find healing and trying to find restoration, he's sorrowful. But his sorrow never leads him to repentance. And so Judas goes out and he hangs himself and he kills himself. And he never gets to witness the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus. He never gets to witness the resurrection. But you know, many of the disciples were not much different than Judas. And that same night when Jesus told them, one of you is going to betray me. 
he looked at him and he told him, listen, all of you are going to turn away. And they're all like, no, 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 no. Wow, we wouldn't turn away. And Jesus is saying, yes, you're all going to turn away. Peter, very adamant, not me, Jesus. I'll, I'll never turn my back on you. Peter, before the, before the rooster even crows the next morning, you're going to deny me three times. And I've always wondered, every time Peter heard a rooster crow after that, what memories did that bring up? But all of them were, and in fact, remember we talked about the rich young ruler last week. And when the rich young ruler walked away, Peter looked at Jesus and he said, Jesus, we've given up everything. What are we going to get for that? They all had the same mindset. They all wanted to know what are they going to get? Judas was no different. Peter was no different. All the disciples, what are, what we've walked away from a lot. What are we getting for this? But the difference between Peter and Judas is that Peter went back to his brothers. All of the brothers came back together and they waited and they still loved each other despite turning their back on Jesus in his weakest moment, but not Judas. We have to be careful to learn from Judas and not be like Judas. Because to some extent, we all wonder, what do I need to do to get God to do what I want God to do? And if God doesn't do what I want God to do, then that gives me right to not believe God is who God says he is. And turn away. But like Judas, we'll find that we don't really know what true loss is. Until we realize that we've traded Jesus for something we thought was more valuable. Jesus discerns the heart. The heart that's deceptive, Jesus discerns that. He knew the character of Judas. He knew who he was, but he still called Judas regardless of that. And see, just like that, we are naturally sinners. We're prone to sin. But even though we are naturally sinners, Jesus still calls us to be a part of his family. He still calls us to follow him. But we learn from Judas that just because we are in the church doesn't mean we're in Christ. And that the enemy can gain access to our life when we slowly open the door inch by inch. And when we start dipping our hand into them, whatever our money box is. And the more we do that, the more we begin to realize, and the more we get without or without realizing it, we're walking into a very dark corner in our life. Because we're in a slow process of going there. And our disconnect from God and our willingness to reach selfish gain, it'll push us further away. But remember, when you read the Gospels together, you see the Gospels build the whole picture. And Luke tells us in Luke chapter 22 that when Judas approached Jesus, it says that Jesus looked at him and said, Judas, will you really betray me with a kiss? 
In other words, it's like Jesus is saying, you don't have to do this. Because I'm about to reveal myself to them. Just let me embrace you with mercy right now. Not with your kiss of betrayal. Sorrow can't be enough. We have to be led to repentance. The other disciples learned this and the other disciples got to experience Christ in his fullness. So when we get to a point in our life and we're looking and we're wondering when the end is different than what we wanted it to be or what we thought it was going to be, how are we going to respond? When it doesn't look like God's going to answer the way we wanted God to answer, when God's not going to act the way we wanted God to act, how are we going to respond? The hope is that we learn from Judas and that we still trust Jesus. Even if it's not how we expected, we still trust Jesus. But I want to tell you today, whether you're in this room or whether you're online, if that was not your initial response, and you've turned away, or you've stepped away, or you're making those decisions like Judas, and you're putting your hand in some money box, whatever that is, I want you to know today that God's love for you has never left. God's love for you is still right there. And I believe that just like he did with Peter, I believe he would have had the same conversation with Judas. And I know he would have the same conversation with you today. He would sit there like he did with Peter on that beach. And he would say, Peter, do you love me? He would ask you, do you love me? You can tell him, yeah. And he'd ask you again. You can tell him, yeah. And he'd ask you again. You can tell him, yes. I love you. You know I love you. And he would tell you, well, just like I did before you walked away, the same authority I gave you to work and to minister for me before you walked away is still there. Now go feed my sheep. Receive his mercy. Receive his grace. His love for you has never left. If the end is different, if God didn't respond the way you thought he would, how are you going to respond to that today? Stand with me this morning. we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you speak to us and what you share with us today through your word. And God is heartbreaking as it is to know what happened with Judas and to know that Judas was only a conversation away from redemption, from your mercy, from your grace. Only a conversation away, just like Peter, 
from remaining and being one of the apostles to continue to walk and feed your sheep. God, there may be those in this room today that are the exact same way. There may be those watching online today that may be the exact same way. God, let us not walk away from your mercy. Even though things may not have turned out the way we hoped they would turn out in this life. God, help us to still trust you. And help us to see that following you is the most important thing. We give it to you, God. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccanbin.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.